Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hi, it is the last day of the month of April. That's hard to believe. The year is just flying by. But we are concluding our study for... Would this be less, would this be month eight? I think this would be month eight of our Digging Deep study for this year, Great Escapes. Part of our study was in the book of Ruth. So I want to take just a few minutes to spend in the book of Ruth, but not necessarily on Ruth, but a little bit about Naomi and some of the things that Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, some of the tests that she failed in her pursuit of escaping. She finally did find God's way of escape from bitterness in her life to betterness in her life. But some of the ways, some of the things that she forgot that slowed her down, that made her stop working, that made her just decide that God was not on her side and so she was just going to sit down and take a break. So I want to talk a little bit from Ruth chapter 1. As you remember, Ruth had, Naomi rather, had fallen upon hard times. There had been a famine. She and her husband had left God's people and gone down to sojourn in the land of Moab because there was food there. And her husband Elimelech passed away while she was in a foreign land. I can't imagine how that would feel being in a land where people spoke a different language, had different culture, had a different culture, but most of all were not at all in allegiance with the God of the universe, our Jehovah. And so she was left without her husband who was, I'm sure, her buffer in this foreign land, in this land that was um, different for her. And it, it was that then her sons, Malin and Chiliab, married women who were Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, respectively. And then you'll remember 10 years into those marriages, those sons, Malin and Chiliab died. And so Ruth was left in a foreign, Naomi rather, was left in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law who both really loved her. They wanted to come back home with her. She decided to go back home. She was very, very distraught. She started to go back home and her daughters-in-law, both of them said, we'll go back with you. And you remember she entreated them to go on back and dwell among their own people really can't imagine her uh, state being low enough to tell the daughters-in-law that she loved to go on back and be part of the Moabite nation because it was such a wicked nation. But she did at any rate, and Orpah did turn back. But Ruth, rather, decided to go on with Naomi. And you remember her famous speech, whether thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And so Naomi is returning back without her husband, without her two sons. And she, at this point in her life, has a knack for the negative. Listen to Ruth 1, verses 12 and 13. Go back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear sons, 
Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? No, my daughters, it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. She's really saying a lot there, including concluding that little speech with um, the statement that this is all God's fault. God's hand has gone out against me. She's kind of having a pity party here. We go on and look in verses 20 and 21 when she finally did get back to the people of Israel. She said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord brought me home again empty. So why do you call me Naomi, seeing that the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. So she's having a pity party. I know that some very dark things have occurred in her life. Some things that would would cause great concern, great anxiety, and great sadness. But she's having her own pity party while she blames God. So I think just for the few minutes that we have on this last day of April, sometimes we have pity parties and Cindy Colley has done this and here are some of the reasons I believe from these verses that we sometimes decide that we are going to bask in our sadness number one sometimes we forget that we we are not alone I love Psalm 46 1 our God is always there he is an ever present help in time of trouble is a refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. Hebrews 13, 5, speaking of our Lord, says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that never there is a, is a double negative word. He will never, ever leave us or forsake us. And of course, I love our passage that is the basis of our study this year. That he will always, with every trial or temptation that we face, provide that way of escape. Sometimes we forget that we are not alone. Sometimes we forget that Christians see differently from the world. Christians see in 3D. Now let me explain what I mean by this. I, in my lifetime, have had the great privilege of teaching several women the gospel and of watching them obey the gospel. But I've noticed that as new babies, new converts, sometimes Christian women have a very hard time leaving the world's me mentality. I mean, the world is selfishly focused. You just look around at those people who are nominally serving God or not serving God at all. And really, in our world, it is a great temptation for us to be focused on what is in it for me. And sometimes that cultural philosophy mentality is very hard for us to leave when we become Christians, especially if we weren't raised around people who were unselfish people, who were Christian people. So sometimes when I'm speaking to a babe in Christ, she'll say something about, um, oh, how many problems she has. Every single time she comes to worship, she's telling me about a new drama or a new problem that she's facing and how sad and how pitiful it is that her life is so very hard. Now, I know that 
that sometimes that is the case. Sometimes new Christians who are coming out of the world are having a very hard time and maybe even being persecuted for it. But sometimes it's easy for new babies in Christ to not be able to focus on the needs of others for focusing on their own problems. Sometimes it's exemplified in something as simple as a fellowship fellowship meal. I, I know several new Christians who don't ever think ahead about preparing a dish for a fellowship meal for a time when we're going to enjoy each other's company. But when I say, are you going to stay today? Oh yeah, I'd love to stay and eat. You know what? That's okay. Those are babies in Christ. And I want them to stay and eat and I want them to grow from that fellowship. But there comes a time when we stop being thinking things. everything is for us and we start thinking, okay, how can I prepare enough food for, for the visitors? How can I make sure there's enough food for everybody who's going to want to come? And then we hang back at the end of the line because we want to be sure that... And I know this is just a simple way to illustrate this, but we want to be sure as mature Christians that those people who are visitors who may not know the Lord are the ones who are receiving both the physical nourishment that they need and the spiritual encouragement that they need. Sometimes we hear new converts talk about, well, oh, I I really hope that, um, you, you know, I don't know, sometimes our ladies Bible class will flood a new convert with cards or with uh, words of encouragement with we'll let them know that we're praying specifically for uh, this new convert this we'll let this sister know that she's been in our prayer in class and lots of people will send her a card or we'll put her on our list in our women's prayer group and and we'll make sure that she knows that we're praying hard for her and sometimes those ladies say, oh, I just want you to keep on and on and on praying for me. But they're not really thinking about who they can be, who she, she's not really thinking about who she can be praying for, who might need her encouragement, who she might be able to send a card to. And sometimes brand new Christians will walk in and just tell us how busy they are and how they really didn't have time to come last Wednesday night. They were sorry I missed, but you know, my life is hard. I am so busy. You know what? The people who are the most faithful in attendance aren't the people who aren't busy. In fact, they're some of the busiest people in the congregation. They're the busiest, some of the busiest people in the community, but they prioritize. They have stopped seeing in one dimension, the me dimension. They are able to have an outward focus to fellow Christians and people in the world who need the gospel, and most of all, an upward focus to God. So we, as Christians, see in 3D. It's ourselves last, but before that comes our fellow man and our God. We see in 3D. Sometimes, number three, we just stop walking and decide to have a seat. I've known of widows who attended their husband's funerals and then came home and walked in their dark homes and closed the door behind them and locked that deadbolt and hardly ever came out again. I mean, they became very self-centered, oriented, sad, somewhat afraid to go out among people 
and they just became somewhat hermit-like. And then I've known of other Christian women who lost their husbands and who said, you know what? There have been many years when I've been a caretaker and I haven't been able to do all the things that I wanted to do for the Lord. Now is my busy time. Now I'm going to make close relationships of the sisters in the congregation. I'm going to be there every time the golden seniors are assembling. I'm going to go to lunch with my Christian sisters on Sunday after worship. I am going to be busy as I've never been busy before. And those are the happiest widows that I know. We'll talk to you just for a minute about my friend Annie. And I may have talked about her even before on this. But there was a time in my life when I was 27 years old. And I was moving from Alabama, well, lower middle Tennessee, all the way to Salem, Virginia, to the Roanoke Valley. I had a brand new baby who was colicky and cried all the time. And we were moving to a place, a home, a house that I'd never seen before into a congregation where I knew, I think I might have known, uh, I, I vaguely knew one person in this congregation of a couple of hundred people. And so we were moving and I was, I had a lot of trepidation about that. I had a three year old and a brand new baby. And we moved to this place and when I got to this house that I'd never seen before, there was a wreath on the door. I walked in and there were, it was October and there were fall leaves and pumpkins across the mantel. In the kitchen I walked in and the coffee pot was already plugged in and the coffee was hot and donuts were on the counter. I later found out that it was my friend, Annette, Annie, I learned to call her, who had left those things in my house. And, and I thought, wow, well, that was really sweet of her to, she must be the welcoming team. Somebody, the elders must have told her to welcome the preacher. But you know what? I learned about Annie. Every time I went to services, she, her husband was walking in beside her with a giant box of things that she had prepared for her four and five-year-old class and she was excited to get in there and teach that class every single holiday not just christmas but saint patrick's day or valentine's day or easter or halloween whatever it was there was a gift from the schrader family and her last name was schrader there was a gift from her to every single child in the congregation every child, not just the ones in her class. I learned that on Sunday afternoons when there were children who maybe didn't have good parents or whose parents didn't come to worship, those children would go home with Annie and spend Sunday afternoon with her family at her house. And I thought, wow, you know, when I first knew her, I thought, wow, she just got a lot of time on her hands. Her husband just must really you know, maybe she's got a maid, maybe he helps her with the housework, or maybe she's got somebody who comes in and helps with her children. She had two children, and one of them was very special needs. He took a, he, he was very demanding, and I thought, you know, she just, somebody's just really helping, helping Annie out. She must, you know what, and I wondered about her face. Her face was disfigured, and I, as I got to know Annie, I learned that she suffered and had already had several cancer surgeries. She had a very debilitating, recurring form of cancer that finally did take her life, but she was dealing with that 
all through all of these amazing things that she was doing. I remember her coming into my Wednesday night class when I was teaching and actually lying down on a table in the back of the fellowship hall because that's the only way her back could rest enough from pain to allow her to listen to the class, but she came. I, I learned that not only was she dealing with this cancer and this, this special needs child that was taking a whole lot of time, but she was looking after her own parents as they got older, but especially for her husband's parents as, the, as his mom. As she was very demanding, not a Christian, and very demanding and needed so much help. And she was visiting people from the congregation in the nursing home more regularly than probably anyone else in the congregation. You see, Annie wasn't doing all the good things she was doing because she had lots of time on her hands. Sometimes we just stop walking and have a seat and we need to look to those people who are the doers of the work, even when it is very, very difficult. Sometimes, number four, we forget who fills our tank. Cindy Colley hates with a passion. I hate to pump gas. I really hate to pump gas in cold weather. I hate to pump gas at night. And I really hate to pump gas that costs three times what I think it should cost just because I'm in a dark and desolated area and desolate area and I want to go to a safe place. I hate all of those things. But you know, when I was at the pump on my last trip, I thought about the reason that I hate to do those things because I'm not used to doing those things. It's because I have a great husband who keeps my tank full. And I mean, I have to be on a trip. I have to be, I leave with a full tank and then run out of gas on the trip. That's when I pump gas, is when there is no feasible way for my husband to keep my tank full. Sometimes we forget who it is that fills our tank and spiritually and in all the material ways, the person, the being who fills our tank. And sometimes we take it for granted is God. He makes sure that we have everything that we need. Matthew 6, 33. But Naomi said, God sent me out full and brought me home empty. She could have taken a lesson from Job who lost houses and lands and children and everything but a wife who wanted him to curse God and die lost his health. She could have learned something from Job who said, who said, naked came I from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Number five, sometimes we like to broadcast the problems and keep the blessings a secret. We look at Ruth 1 verses 20 and 21 again. Listen to what she said. Don't call me by my old name. Call me bitter. I just like for Mara means bitter. I just like for bitter to be my name. And then she said, God treated me very bitterly. And then she said, God emptied me. And then God testified against me. And God afflicted me. You know, I think she'd thought about that speech. I think all the way home she'd been thinking, here's what I'm going to tell my people. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to get some things off my chest. And she did so with an indictment of God that really borders on blasphemy. She wanted to broadcast her problems. And when we broadcast our problems, and sometimes we have a tendency to do that on Facebook, and when we broadcast our problems, we get some reinforcements 
for our pity party. People will come to our aid and say, oh, bless your heart. Oh, and sometimes I'm guilty of this. Bless your heart. You know, you just, and they'll, they'll start saying good things. You're, you're so good. I don't know why this is happening to you, but you're going through a hard time and I'm here for you and I love you. And we'll start feeling that, that reinforcement. And sometimes people will say, oh, I know, I know it's so hard. I've done this myself. This is, this life is so hard and it's so hard to be a young mama or it's so hard to be a widow or it's so hard to be alone or it's so, sometimes we broadcast the problems expecting reinforcements from people who have negative negativity themselves and sometimes it turns into a big pity party well thankfully we don't have to leave Naomi at the end of Ruth 1 Ruth is about to have a tremendous idea to go out and get busy she says I, I, I think I'm gonna go out and glean so that we won't be hungry and Ruth goes out and gets to work and then you remember she comes home and she says yeah I happened upon this man named Boaz it was his field that I worked in and he was very good to me and Boaz was indeed very good to her and then Ruth said oh 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 he's kin to us and he might be able to to keep this lever at law and take you as his wife and you remember there was another man who had to turn Ruth and her field down before Boaz was able to buy Ruth and her field but it ended up you remember Ruth married this prince of a man named Boaz and they have had a son named Obed and Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of David and so Ruth this Moabitess was brought into the very lineage of the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of the book of Ruth, Naomi said, I had this daughter-in-law named Ruth who was better to me than seven sons. Naomi went from bitterness to betterness. <laughs> and I know I'm coining a phrase there, but she went from bitter to better. And she did so because of the doing. She did so because there was some ingenuity and a work ethic about Ruth that brought Naomi into the picture and Naomi began to devise and say, how can we make our lives better through God's will? And because of getting busy, reaching out, she overcame one of the biggest pity parties in the history of the annals of scripture. We can do that too. Don't have a pity party. Get busy and get better. Have a good day. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Dig a Bit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.